This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. With that, let's turn to the preaching of God's Word. If you have your Bible, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you're using our Pew Bible, that is going to be on page 554. 554 is where Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is in the Pew Bible. As you're turning there, speaking of last year, it was one year ago today that we were recording our third online-only service, just to kind of put the last year, that's where we were one year ago, into perspective. Uh, Each of those first few weeks, especially, of those online services stand out in my memory, kind of all for a different reason. The first one Uh, was put together pretty hastily. Uh, We had to do that in a hurry. I think we found out, if my memory serves correct, we found out on a Thursday night that we weren't going to gather for Sunday morning. So on Friday, we made a plan. On Saturday, we recorded for that first Sunday. And then it streamed, and we stayed home and, and watched it together Uh, The second Sunday felt a little bit better. We at least had some idea. We were able to make some tweaks. We were able to to plan for it a a little bit better. But I remember that third Sunday, one year ago today, because I think it was on that day that we began to feel like we may have to do this for a little while. The first couple were like, well, yeah, this is, man, this is crazy. We're gonna have to do this for like two, maybe three weeks. And by that third, I know we all kind of like chuckle at that now, like, holy cow. That that third Sunday was really the one where like, this might last for a while. I was preaching through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah at that point. And for the first few sermons, they just lined up really well with where we were at and what we were experiencing. But again, it was by that third week and having this sense that, that this was going to last for a while. We moved away from what we were preaching. We moved into something else that we hadn't planned, and we shifted into a mode that would hopefully try and help us make a little bit of sense, if that was at all possible, of what we were experiencing. And now, passing that one-year anniversary, so much changing Just a few weeks, we passed kind of the anniversary, really, uh, just a few weeks ago. That hit me uh, especially hard. I don't know kind of how you processed that. But reading the book of Ecclesiastes has really helped me to work through a whole year of what we've just experienced as we kind of have passed these markers of, oh, yeah, a year ago we were doing this. A year ago, we did that for the first time. Ecclesiastes has helped me to process the strangest year in most of our lives. This is a book about the essence of what it means to be human. And the last year has shown us, taught us quite a bit about what it means to be human in the world. For everything we thought we knew about life all the plans we thought we could make, even some of the things that we thought were important to us, the most important to us, seem strangely different now. 
don't they? One of the biggest ways that, 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 that all these changes have landed on me over the past year is the realization of how little control I really have. I can plan my days, my weeks, I, my whole year. I can just kind of calendar out everything. I can have a, a plan for my family. We can have a plan for our church. We can think we know what we're doing and where we're going. And, and not only can that be just changed in an instant, but when you stop and think for just a minute, no matter how much you put into something, you will realize when you think about it how little, really no control you have over anything that's going on. We have so little say. And this morning in Ecclesiastes, the writer is going to tell us that part of finding happiness in this life, of knowing joy in this life, is not just learning, not even just accepting that you have little control, but embracing that. And then in turn, embracing the one who does have control and can order our days and who does move us according to his plan. So that's what we're going to read in Ecclesiastes 3. Part of being human in the world is embracing our limitations and embracing the one who has none and works everything according to the counsel of his will. So last week... We ended Ecclesiastes 2. Spent three weeks there. We finally saw in the mind and the writing of the preacher, God kind of re-emerge into his experience. For for a while, in chapter 2, he devoted his life and his money and his power, and he made it his, his mission, his purpose to discover what's the meaning of life. And after trying all these worldly pleasures, he finally concludes that life is most fully lived, best lived, when its simplicity is embraced. And and we can see that the life God gives us is the one we have. And the key to entering into it is is accepting that and, and living the life that God has set before us. So a good way... Kind of said this last week. A good way to make yourself miserable is to spend all your time wishing you had a different life. In the end, just wishing won't change anything. And the flip side of that is that you will miss out on the sweetness that God does present you with if you're constantly looking for it to be something else. As chapter 3 begins now, the preacher is going to say that that it's not just the simplest parts of life that God intends for us to see and and taste him in. It's in in every season. In the simple and the complex. And and every time 
At every moment of our lives, at every period of your life, for every season, God is fully present there. That's what he intends for you at that time. In that moment, in that season, he's put you there. So we have this way of thinking. We have this way of crafting our our own stories. We think we're at a place. We have a thing. We know what we know because we've made it happen. That's how we craft our story. I am where I am because I made that happen. The preacher comes and says, no, no. God has done everything. So we say, I've done it. I've tried it. I've had it. And, and then the preacher says, I've done all of this. I've done, what, I've done what people do. I've gone into everything. I've tried it all. Anything that I desired, I grabbed hold of. And here's what I've learned the preacher says. Whatever you're doing, whoever you are, wherever you are in these moments, in seasons, it's because God has brought us there. It's him who's done that. We craft our story like we're the main actor. Preacher says, no, God, God is the agent. God's the actor. So let's look at the kind of life, the kind of time that God gives us here on earth. And in doing that, my hope is that we will surrender, give over more and more this idea that we're the masters of our own lives and our own destinies, and we will fully embrace That it is God who sets our lives. And then the way to fully live is to see how glorious he is over all of this, over our lives, over this world. And even something so massive as him being over time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first part of Ecclesiastes in two parts. The first half is a poem. It's meant to lay out a rhythm of life and to show us how God is sovereign over it all. And the second part... This is really the exact same thing, except less poetically and more directly. So the first half helped us, helps us to kind of connect with God's providence, and the second really drives it home. So look at verse 1 and move down with me as I read this for us. Ecclesiastes 3.1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. Time to weep and a time to laugh. Time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Time to seek and a time to lose. Time to keep. A time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. So if you're thinking, I, I've heard this before, it's either because you've read Ecclesiastes or because you know the bird song from the mid-60s. They wrote a song that kind of became a generational 
understand the mid-60s were an incredibly turbulent time in our country and around the world, and the birds came and ripped off these lyrics, and it sort of just became this way of people coping with all the turbulence of the mid-60s. For the younger people, it was in Forrest Gump. Okay, so since this is a poem, uh, what I want us to see more than just breaking down the individual words even than focusing on these individual phrases, is just to ask the question, why did the preacher write this? Why does he say what he wants to say this way? It's an understatement to say there's some repetition here. It's purposeful. It's artistic. But the first thing I want you to say See, is how complete and full this poem is. Verse 1, for everything there is a season. For everything. Later in the second half of this, it will say that there is a season for everything because there's a sovereign God who makes a season for everything and whatever he wills will come to pass. But for now, there's just a season for everything. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. Now, it's come up basically every week, but Ecclesiastes is not afraid to talk about death. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's a book about death because one of the main ways, one of its refrains, one of the ways it speaks to us, to you and to me, is by confronting you with the truth that you will die one day. And so will I. And and I know... To a large degree, that seems really obvious to say, but everything that comes after this in this poem happens between birth and death. So this is a complete poem. There's a time for everything. First, there's a time to be born. You're born. And then there are seasons of your life, the passing of time, things you experience, things happen around you, and then you die. Everything else happens around those two bookends. So really what I want you to know, notice here, is is three kind of themes that come next. In these verses, 28 times, it says the word time. Three themes that I want to draw out of this. The first one is that while you may be able to exercise some degree of control over some of those times... When you stand back and look at it, you have no real control. So just look, for example, at the very first thing after birth and death. A time to plant and a time to pluck up or or harvest what's been planted. Listen, you can think, well, I I can plant. I can go home and plant what I want when I want. But here's here's the truth. You can go home this afternoon and you can plant. We're not an agricultural community. This doesn't work as well here, but you can, it would work better in ancient Israel. But you, you can figure this one out. Flowers work with this too. You can go home and plant this afternoon. But what you will plant this afternoon, despite your best efforts, will almost surely die. We're still getting overnight frosts. You can have a lot of control over planting. But if you don't plant, if you talk to a farmer, planting at the right time is critical to a proper harvest, and you don't really get to decide that. There's a small window when planting takes place. 
There's a time to plant, and it's now, or it's not now. And even though you feel like you're doing the planting, the timing isn't up to you. Same thing for the harvest. You have to harvest the crop at the right time or you lose the whole field. So the first thing the poem says is you don't really control the times. You're just put inside of them. The second thing is that some time must pass so that other times can come. Some times must pass, some seasons must pass so that others can come. Things end so new ones can start. Now, we can't experience all the seasons of life at the same time. Look at the second pairing of verse 3. A time to break down and a time to build up. In the ancient world, it's kind of how it is in a city today. In the ancient world, building a, a new structure often required tearing down an old one to repurpose the materials. So something new can't be built while something else continues and remains. Something has to go away so something else can come. And is this not true of our lives? So listen, I I am in the thick of needing to remember on a daily basis not to wish some of these times away. I hear my name, actually it's not even my name, it's more like my title, Dad, about a thousand times a day right now. My wife hears Mom about 10,000 times a day right now. I keep telling my daughters, when we're in the same room talking to each other, you don't have to keep saying Dad at the beginning of every single sentence. That's how it goes. Dad, we're talking. I I know you're talking to me. But I've listened to enough wise people to know that I shouldn't wish the time when my children are young and at home away. Because I can never have that again. I never get that again. I only get one go at that. Now, here's the thing. I'm so hopeful that there are great things to come in the future. I don't want my children to live with me forever. In fact, if they do, something has gone terribly wrong. Some of you are like, amen. (laughs) I want great things in the future for my kids. But in order for the good things that that are to come for them, some of the great things have to pass away. And so I have to be present in this moment to not wish that things were different now. They won't always be small enough for me to pick them up and carry them around. And so we'll get to this a little bit later. But we don't stand over time like God does. We have to have seasons where things are passing so that other things can come. The last thing I want you to see in this poem is that life is full of ups and downs. Verse 4, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, time to mourn and a time to dance. We need this verse because life can be hard. There's absolutely no way to be prepared for everything. And, And I don't even want you to try 
But if we, if we don't have some real fundamental acknowledgement that there are periods of pain that will come, we will not know where to turn when they do come, and we will be in danger of being crushed by the things that are going to happen to us and around us that are tragic. And things will come. They will. But we also need to know, flip that over, in the midst of pain, we need to know that it won't always be that way. Are you laughing now? I don't want to ruin your happiness if this is a great season for you. But at some point you'll cry. And the more you know that deep down in the depths of your soul, the more you will be anchored to God who brings the seasons when laughter is turned to tears. And if you're weeping now, if this is a hard season, if you're in the midst of of great difficulty, know that you'll have joy again. Joy will come sometime again. God gives both, and we need to know that he gives both. He will give you more joy if you're weeping now at some point. And then if you know him, son Jesus, you will know joy with him forever. So it's those three things that I want you to see in the poem First, you you don't control the times. God does. The second truth is that times must come and go. One needs to pass so something else can come. And the third thing to see here is that ups and downs are a part of life. Now, I I need to caveat one thing. This is is one of the the greatest promises for Christians, Maybe, maybe the greatest promise. For everybody who knows and trusts in Jesus Christ, we are promised an eternal life one day where there is no more weeping. There are no more things like tragedy and death. And and so our hope, our hope ultimately as Christians is not to, to understand these things and just kind of accept them and go, yes, everything is always hard forever. The point is to praise God and to know that there is one day where they will never again have to be this way. There will be a point where things don't have to pass so others can come. We will just experience an unending series of blessing and fruit and of great joy. And we're weeping, crying, and mourning are no more. It's actually in all of these things that life with God forever begins to look so vastly different than the the God-ordained order of the passing of life here on earth. So we don't control the times. God does. It might sound scary and and like we're, we're releasing something precious to us, releasing control over our lives, releasing the passage of time, the events of our lives to God is, is a scary thing. But for those who know him, we also see that nothing can be more comforting to say that God controls the times, to say that things pass so others can come, to say that there will be ups and downs. 
because when we are able to place them in the hands of God, into the lap of God, we know that they are, there is no better place for them to be. Just take, take this second thing. Times need to come and go. At the end of the Bible, said, at the end of the Bible Jesus says, book of Revelation chapter 21, that he is making all things new. The old passes away so the new can come. For anyone who is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are, you are a new creation. Where there was an old person, a former person, that has passed away so a new creation can be made in its place. It can feel unsure. It can feel scary. It can feel like we're releasing something. But folks, God's so much better at holding your life even than you are. So take great comfort in knowing that he holds it in his hands. He holds you in his hands. So now let's, let's go to verse 9. So the preacher gets more specific in the second half. First half is poetic, second half is specific, but no less majestic. Paul does the same thing a couple of times in the New Testament, usually in the reverse order. He's describing something about the nature and the character of God or God's works, his glory in the gospel or something. And then through that, a kind of joy just wells up in him and, and, and Paul bursts out in a kind of poetic way. He, he, he begins to worship, he writes poems or songs. Here the, here the preacher goes poem first, but now he helps us to see even further why he's written the things that he, he just has. So let, let's read verse 9. Follow along here. What, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He's put eternity into the hearts, into man's hearts. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him that which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So this is similar to where he ended chapter 2. What's the point of work? What's the point of toil? How is day-to-day life to be lived? That's what he means by the business that God has given to the children of man. But now the preacher is going to add to it. So like his previous conclusion, which is that part of the point is to take joy and taste and see that the Lord is good in the, in the life that he's given you. Now the preacher says that there is something to know about the way that God has created men and women in his image that informs the entirety of our understanding of life. In verse 11, he says that God has put eternity into our hearts. Though we don't have a full knowledge of that, 
Our knowledge is actually very limited of eternal things, but it is there. God has put it into our hearts. So let's just talk for a minute about who God is and then who we are. I want to read God sort of describing himself from Isaiah 46. I'm going to start at verse 8. Just just listen to this. Isaiah 46, verse 8, if you're a note taker. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. That's all of us. Remember the former things of old. And here we go. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. So as we look at Ecclesiastes 3 and God putting eternity into the hearts of men, we need to understand who God is and who we are and and how that relates to eternity. First thing to know is there is no one like God. Humans are created in his image, meaning we not only bear his imprint and are of uncommunicable, uncommunicatable, is that a word? That's not a word. Uncommunicatable. Sometimes it's, wor- it's worth it. it sometimes there, there aren't words for what we need to describe. We are incapable of communicating the worth and the value of human beings because we're created in the image of God and he has endowed us with certain qualities that he himself possesses. But even in those qualities, even in the ones that we have, we've been given, we only have a little bit. In that we're like God, we're only a little like him. We're like an extremely nearsighted person. In that if we're given glasses, we can see. Things become clear. But on our own, extremely nearsighted. We have an idea that the world is out there, but we can't make any sense of it more than you know, a, a foot or two, a few inches in front of us without God making sense of it for us. So in other ways, so in in some ways we're like him a little bit, and in other ways we're not like him at all. And one of the things that God does share a little bit with us is an understanding of eternity. We can comprehend that there are moments after this one. The rest of the created world doesn't really have that ability. We, we can know that there is something more than right now. We can even know that there's something beyond this world. But that's about where we stop. That's about as far as our, our, our vision goes. We don't know much of it. We can't even understand much of it. So listen to how different we are than God. This is Isaiah 46 verse 10. God declares the end from the beginning. And from the ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, it's God speaking, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. So not only does God know things from the beginning, he knows everything. And when it says from the beginning of here, in ancient times, it means from the beginning 
of the world. And other parts of Scripture tell us that even that means from before the beginning of the world. And, and God doesn't know, like somebody who is, has studied for their history test. They memorize the dates and the names and the places. He knows because he made it all, and all of it happened according to his will. And so he says, you know the birds that fly around, that come to one place and, and migrate? So look up right now is a good time for this. Look up at the birds migrating back from the south right now. They're doing that, every single one of them, because God wills it. People are moving around. They're going places. The world is in motion because God has decreed from long before you were born that you would move. Everything happens according to his purpose. And uh, here comes a double negative. Nothing he does not desire is done. Did you get that? Double negatives are sloppy. I get that. It just felt right. Nothing God does not desire is done. So let's talk about then our relationship to time versus God's. We're bound up in time. When we talk about eternity, all we can understand of it is that it's just a series of moments, some in the past, one right now, and there will be moments to come. We can even understand there'll be moments to come forever. Forever is hard, but we can, we can get our minds around that a little bit. But to us, even eternity, though we can know it still comes and it comes and it comes and it comes, eternity still has to be a successive series of moments. Even in heaven, even for eternal life, not every moment is the same. There will be former times and there will be still be things to come. We're bound up in time. But God isn't. That's not how God sees time. God stands over time. He's not bound by it. He doesn't exist within it. And I know this one is hard to understand, so just go with me here in a minute. It's almost the point. God, we can be present in one moment at one time. We are limited. God is not he can be fully present in the past. He can be fully present now. And he will be and is fully present in the future in exactly the same way and to exactly the same degree. God does not experience a succession of moments. It's easiest to see this when we look to the future. God is not waiting for the future to happen or come about. He's not waiting for it to come at all. In his mind, in the experience of God, the future already is. And the reason it is, is because nothing happens outside of his will. So to God, the future is done. It's one of the reasons you can read the book of Revelation and you can read these things that have not yet happened, but it's written as though they've already been played out. Because in the mind of God, they have. It's done. There's not something to wonder about. There's no thinking, oh, I wonder how this is going to turn out. There's no contingency plan in case something goes sideways. It's done. With God, it's done. 
Yet now, God uses time for his will and purpose. That's how come he can say in Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we, we might receive adoption as son. But when, it, when, it, when the fullness of time had come, what does that mean? Well, to us, when it was the right time, to God, now, as in the past, as in the future, now, I'm accomplishing my purposes in just the way that I always meant for them to be accomplished. God stands over time and he wields it. And so as we look at this seasons of life, a time for this and a time for that, and for everything there is a season, according to God's providence, folks, it's done. And that's what the preacher has come to learn. It's done. When Jesus comes... He announces himself. He begins his ministry in the, in the Gospel of Mark by saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. Again, to God, it was just as it should be. But to those who heard the words, that moment was far different than the one that had come before it. And for us, we're still bound up in this. As much as we can understand eternity... There's a weird thing that happens throughout the Bible as you read. And one of them is that we now know more about eternity than the preacher of Ecclesiastes. We know that in the fullness of time, God sent his son. We know that when the time was fulfilled, God sent his son forth. So we have a greater understanding of all that God is doing. And so for us, it should be, we should be able to worship God and accept this and embrace the God who has bound us up into time, but has ordered the times of our lives for our good and for his glory because we know so much more about how good and faithful and true and powerful and mighty and glorious he is over that time. So even more than the preacher says, I've learned to release it all to God. We should be able to release it all with all the greater degree. Some other things that Jesus said about time. Coming up, celebrating in just a few days, the Last Supper. He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. We think that, that Jesus went to the cross under the will of, of those who thought that they would kill him. Jesus went to cross because it was the right time that God had appointed long, long, long ago. So he says, my time is at hand. He gives himself over freely to it. He entered into that time as Lord over it. And then he says, I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. One more, just one more, and then we'll be done. This is Acts after the resurrection of Jesus. So when they had come together, disciples, some of the early Christians, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then he said, men of Galilee, there's other people after his ascension, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come again the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Folks, there's going to be a time 
some point in the future. It might be this afternoon, it might be later this week, or it could be years and years and years. But God isn't waiting to see when it might be, just like he's not waiting to see what might happen next for you. Jesus will come back. He will set the rest of the future of the world into motion. He will make all things new. He is not late in making that happen. And so as we consider our lives, look at the seasons that God has laid out before us. What better place, who better than to put rhythm to them than the one who stands over them, than the one who created them and created us and put them inside of us, put, them, put us inside of them, and the one who surely according to that same will and by that same power will bring all to pass that he set forth before time was even created. For everything there is a season, everything in its time. And soon, friends, even the end of this time and the beginning of the next. It's great hope. Great promise. Let's pray. Father, your faithfulness knows no limitation and knows no end. Your power and your glory are sure forever. May we worship you, the sovereign God, who orders our lives. What a grace to know that they are not in our finite hands, but in your infinite. Praise be to your name. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.